0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. And...
1: Um, Today is a feast day. It certainly is. We're celebrating the feast of
2: Saint Matthias. And does everybody remember who Saint Matthias is? Right, right. (laughs) We talked about him at our show. There you go. Give me a little comment, Danielle. What's interesting about Saint Matthias is that he replaced Judas, but they had to have a requirement that he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. That's what I've read. In commentaries, is that a, is that what you've read?
1: Right, and that's it, it. Says right here, Peter says we have to choose someone who has been with us from the time of John's baptism to the time yeah. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, ah. until the time that so, Jesus ascended into he heaven. Says,
2: he so he saw
1: not only the resurrection but the ascension, and he saw the public life of our Lord. Wow! So and it's it's interesting. Just just as a total yeah. side account, but yeah. you know, Paul talks of himself as a true apostle. Mm-hmm. So the requirement of being an apostle was that you were an eyewitness to the events of the public life of Christ and then his resurrection and his ascension. And so how does Paul come off? And he says, I'm I'm an apostle as one born out of the natural course. Mm-hmm. Well, he did witness the, the risen Lord. He witnessed him on the road to Damascus. And then Paul, according to tradition, went off to the desert of Arabia and he spent three years in the desert of Arabia with our Lord. And when we have that when paul talks about the gospel that he preached Mm -hmm. he says i received this from no man Ah. but directly from the lord and he didn't what he did is he went to make when he he did bring the gospel after he'd been preaching for 14 years he went up to meet with peter and the pillars of the church in jerusalem in order to make sure that he hadn't run the race in vain Mm. that he was preaching according that he'd gotten it right that he truly had understood it so even he, as considering himself apostle, mm-hmm. takes the gospel that he understood Christ to reveal to him and, and submits it to the church to say, "Am I? did I get this right? Is this what I'm, you know, so it's beautiful. I mean, the authority of the church and Paul, you know, even though Paul is, was commissioned specifically by our Lord, chosen for a special mission to bring the apostles to the Gentiles. Nonetheless, it was Peter who first preached to the Gentiles when he baptizes Cornelius's household getting a little far afield but anyway let's go, let's come back to matthias here okay. so they drew lots and and they they had chosen two men who had been with him the whole time um joseph called barsabbas who was also known as justice and then matthias and the lot fell to matthias so matthias gets numbered with the 11 he becomes one of the apostles but because he had witnessed the entire public life of our Lord from the time that Jesus was baptized by John until the time that our Lord ascended into heaven. Mm -hmm. He was an eyewitness to these accounts. So so to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness Mm -hmm. to the accounts. And then in the gospel for the day, the church chooses for us. She chooses the gospel from, from the gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, where Jesus talks about his love. He says, as... The Father loves me, so I love you. Remain in my love. Well, how do we remain in his love? If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Oh, but it's all about love, right? I just have to love. Love and do as you will, and then I don't have to worry about anything, right? Our love is expressed in our keeping of the commandments. Mm. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and then you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So that love doesn't free us from obeying God, that love gives us the motivation and the understanding that we need to obey God, that it's only in obeying God that we're truly free. And that's what love is consistent. That love gives us freedom, but that's not our freedom, a license to do anything I feel like I want to do. It's the freedom to do what I was made to do. And what was I made to do? Mm-hmm. I was made to know, love, and serve the Lord my God. And I do that by keeping his commandments. And Jesus practically equates obedience with love. It's not it's yeah, not they're, they're not opposed
2: to one another. The two of them go they, they go together. It seems like Th- St. Thomas Aquinas says that we should will the good of the other. That's how we love someone. Exactly. Isn't that an interesting Exactly. Definition? To will the good of the other and to will the good of the
1: other is to will their salvation. That I would never do anything that yeah. might jeopardize mm-hmm. the salvation of another person. Got it. That's why, you know, if someone's married and they're um, trying to get a date with you, you say no, because you're already married. And if you walk away from that, you made a vow before God to be faithful to this person for life. If you walk away from that, you're jeopardizing your salvation. And I won't participate in that. Amen. And if you really care about them, you'll walk away. And they may not, you may not, you know, sometimes you can't argue with people. It's like, you know, he who who sups with the devil must have a long spool. And so remember, Eve tried to argue with the devil and she lost. Sometimes you can't argue with people when they're trying to get you to sin. You just have to walk away. I'm done. I'm gone. You don't have to give them an explanation. Pray God that they will have the grace to see the truth. And, but walk away from the temptation to sin. And then Jesus goes on. He tells, um, he tells his apostles this, to, to, to remain in his love as he remains in the Father's love and to keep his commandments so that his joy might be in them and their joy might be full. And then he gives them a new commandment. He tells them that no greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for his friends. And it's interesting. He's saying to lay down your life for your friends. But you know, when we were in sin, we weren't friends of God. No, We were enemies. <laughs> so God goes further. <laughs> he goes a lot further than we go. You know, he loved us while we were yet his enemies. And he laid down his life for us when we were his enemies in order to make us his friends, in order to win for us the graces that we need to be faithful to God and to be his friends. Remember earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus says anyone who sins is a slave of sin. And no slave has a permanent place in the father's house. If we have made some compromise with sin in our life, We are on our way out of the house. We no longer belong to them. We can't compromise any sin. Don't compromise with sin. Reject all sin and keep the commandments. That's what the Lord's calling us to. And he he says, we're not slaves. This is, you know, it's a beautiful, we're not slaves, we're friends. We're friends because God, Jesus has made everything, he's told us everything that the Father told him. And then he gives them a new commandment. He tells them, that they must love one another. And he tells them, you have to love one another as I have loved you. Mm. And how is that? Well, you know, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I have appointed you to go and bear fruit in my father's name. And his love came before we even loved him. His love came for us even when we were his enemies. So his joy will be ours when we love the way he loves. When we begin to love those who hurt us.
2: You know, Mary, sometimes it's difficult to understand how God's love is so powerful in our lives. Yeah. And I say this, if God stopped loving you, you would cease to exist. Absolutely. And so, um, You know, how does God love us? He loves us, you know, he he loved us into our being. But, you know, we have the sacrament of love, the Eucharist. Exactly. And what an expression of God's love that we can visit Jesus Christ, true God and true man, in the blessed sacrament. So I would just make a pitch for our listeners to increase your love for Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Amen. Because the graces are waiting for you there.
1: Amen. Amen. And, and the way to do that is to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. And not just during mass, you know, come early to mass, spend time after mass. When, for those who are in the state of grace and are properly disposed, mm-hmm. have fasted and are properly disposed and can receive Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. After we receive Holy Communion, the saints said we should spend at least 15 minutes in Thanksgiving. Our Lord is still physically present with us for 15 minutes and we should make a time of Thanksgiving. We need to spend time with our Lord. You know, we have so much time in our world. We have never had such an Mm. abundance of free time, of just, you know, but that free time isn't about entertainment. We weren't made to be entertained. As a matter of fact, have you ever noticed that after you've been entertained, you aren't relaxed and you aren't rejuvenated and you don't, you're tired out, you're (laughs) worn out. You know, true recreation is to recreate. It's leisure is the basis of culture, as Joseph Pieper wrote a book. But the point of it is, that in that leisure we enter into the rest of God and we spend time with him and get to know him and that's what gives us the energy and rejuvenates us and makes it able us able to do our duty better and to build the kingdom of God we're supposed to be building the kingdom of God here on earth you know christians you know there's this saying oh christians christians um aren't different they're just forgiven well actually no the reality is that christians are different because they're forgiven mm-hmm. You see, as a Christian, I should be different. I shouldn't be living according to the dictates of the world that say I'm just here for pleasure and entertainment. No, I'm here to help build up the kingdom of God. And every breath I take, everything that I do or don't do, every thought, every action should be for the intention of building up the kingdom of God, for glorifying the name of God, that his kingdom would come, that his will be done. So I'm always striving to do God's will. God gives us the grace to do this. This is what Jesus is
2: coming was all about. And you know, Mary, this is our happiness too. Amen. So many people are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Absolutely. And really fulfilling God's will in our life is where we're going to have true peace. Right. And I just want to recommend a book that I've recommended over the years called Abandonment to Divine Providence by Pierre de Cassade. And I realize I recommend that book because it's a short little book that talks about self abandonment, self giving of self to Jesus. And that's where you find your true happiness. I think what happened is, sometimes we might not think God can take care of us. (laughs) And you're wrong if you think that. (laughs) Right. Give yourself to Christ and say, Lord, I'm here to do your will, not mine, just like the Father. And uh, embrace that and fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And I might add, ask Jesus Christ for more faith every day and your faith will grow. Amen. I hear Absolutely. the music, Mary. Yeah, funny thing, it goes, it
1: goes so fast. fast. <laughs> what are
2: we going to do when we get back?
1: Well, thank you for coming right. on and joining us. And we're going to be looking at the um, resurrection account in the Gospel of John, John twenty and twenty-one.
2: And that's the one about the power of confession. There's a lot I bet there. You, you knew that, John twenty. When we get back, we'll read that and much, much more, and give you our commentary. We'll be right back after a short break. Get yourself a cup of coffee, a little tea. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877 526 2151 that's june 15th when your husband comes back from this conference or your son they're going to have a different view about their catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love jesus and his bride the church and are going to instill in them a love for christ and his church the eucharist our lady bring them to virgin sign up there or call 877-526-2151 full sheen ahead
0: It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the Gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please, prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, welcome again to Bible with the Barbers here on this Tuesday afternoon. And we're going to look here at John 20 and 21. And, and again, I want to reiterate, you know, that, that we don't have contradictions in the Scripture. The Scripture doesn't contradict itself. So you have different accounts of the resurrection. It's not that, oh, this story was made up and that one wasn't. We don't really know what happened. And no, the different authors, the, there's a fourfold gospel. It's, a, it's the same story told from four different angles. And they include different emphasis in their stories. Mm-hmm. And John, knowing already of Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospels, tried not to repeat anything that was in those gospels. So most of his information, most of the stories he tells are things that just hadn't been told before. It's not that they're made up and they're not rooted in history. John is very much rooted in history, just as Matthew, Mark, and Luke are. The church teaches us that if you want to know what Jesus was really like when he walked on this earth, read the Gospels. That's how you're going to know. That's your first source of information for how Jesus really was when he walked on this earth. So we have Mary Magdalene going to the tomb on the first day, and we already know this from the other three Gospels. But what happens? She goes and she finds the tomb empty, so she runs off and she tells Peter and John is with Peter. So Peter and John run off to the tomb. And it's interesting. Uh, they're running along and they get to the tomb. And uh, John got there first. Why is that? Well, probably because he was younger. Exactly. <laughs> as far as we know, John was the youngest of the apostles. And so he was probably in faster. better shape than, and you know, a little faster than Peter. And maybe he was just a faster runner. You know, I mean, obviously, in a race, you have your fastest runners, right? Yep. But he doesn't go into the tomb. He looks in, for but he respect. doesn't go in. He waits for Peter to come. And I remember Father Festo years ago when I was oh, in college, yeah. he talked about this, and he said, John represents the church of love, uh-huh. and Peter represents authority. Exactly. Now, that doesn't mean that authority and love are opposed to one another or at odds with other, with we each other. Together. But love always waits for authority to speak because oftentimes love will move us to do things that are imprudent, or would cause us harm. Because mm. we just want to give, 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 give. And we would give so much that we have nothing left and we're dead, we're done. You know, we're empty. So authority speaks and guides us. So John waits for Peter to come. And it's not until Peter goes in the tomb that John goes in. And it's interesting because they're, they're looking around there. And they, they say that, that they saw the linen cloth lying there. Uh, just lying there, mm-hmm. and then the f- cloth that had covered his face is not with the the linen cloth that had covered his body, but is rolled up separately in a separate spot. Well, it, what's interesting is in the commentary that the 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 description of the linen cloth lying is it is not it's not that it was taken off and crumpled up. It's as if there was a sheet over someone, and you saw you know you could see their body under the sheet, and then all of a sudden somehow their body came out from under the sheet without moving the sheet and then the sheet collapses and it's and it's lying there and you could tell there had been something under it but it's not there now Interesting. so it's not that it's not that the you know it's not like when Lazarus came out of the tomb and they had to unwind him yeah this was just a matter of the sheet was undisturbed by someone coming out of it but there was no longer anyone under the sheet and that was what the Greek phrase means. And I thought that was fascinating. I was like, wow. Because I, oftentimes I've thought of that too. Oh, it was crumpled up and thrown to the side. No, it wasn't. It was still laid out on the slab as if there were a body under it, but there's no longer a body under it. So the sheet is still laid out. Almost
2: like it was untouched. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It had, been, it had been over a body. The body's gone, but the body leaving didn't disturb Amazing. the sheet. Amazing. But then the, the cloth that had covered his face is rolled up separately and put aside. Mm-hmm. It's, it's rolled up in a place by itself. And so then the disciple who reached the tomb first went in after, after Peter has gone in, and he believes. But they still don't fully understand what it means to rise from the dead. They saw Jesus give life back to the widow's son at name, the Jairus' daughter, to Lazarus, who'd been in the tomb four days. But this resurrection of the dead, this resurrection to a new life, not life in the body here on earth anymore, but life beyond life in the body, supernatural life, but with a body, with a real human body still. So they go back to their homes. In the meantime, Mary Magdalene stands by the tomb. Apparently she followed them back after she told them. She follows them back to the tomb, and she's standing there weeping as it, you know, and that she stoops inside and she sees these two young men sitting there where the body had lain, and the angels, they're angels, and they say to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" And she says, "Because they've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they put him." <laughs> it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know. After the Second Vatican Council, when there are a lot of things, and are still a lot of things done in the Church that the Council never mandated We call or that the Spirit
2: for. of Vatican II.
1: Some people call it the Spirit That's of Vatican II. It's a that. false spirit. It's exactly. not. It's not Seek. God's spirit. And um, Bishop Sheen mentioned, he said, you know, so oftentimes now we go into our churches and we feel like Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday morning. They've taken our Lord and we don't know where where they put him because the council made it very clear that the tabernacle is supposed to be in a prominent, visible place within the church. This is the reason we come to church. By the way, we don't come to church for other people. I saw this beautiful post on Facebook the other day and it said, don't leave Jesus for any human person on this earth because... You're not coming to church for any human person on this earth. You're coming to church to be with Jesus, Amen. to be with our Lord. We come to church to enter into Jesus's own act of worship. So, you know, so the people bug you. Well, fine. I mean, that's life, people. You know, I, you know, you're waiting for people in traffic and they're at the stop sign and nobody will go because nobody knows how a four-way stop works, you know, or someone's sitting in a driveway and you can't get in the driveway. You got your blinker on, you want to get in, but you can't get in because they have to come out. But they're just sitting there and it's like, okay, you can sit there and complain. You can say, you know what? Thank you, God, for all the people in this world. And I, you've given me an opportunity to exercise a little patience here, Lord. And I'm not doing a very good job, but you know what? Thank you for the opportunity. And and I hope with your grace that I'm going to grow and, and get better at that. So, you know, we, we have this um, <laughs> very false idea sometimes about how things should be. But our Lord is supposed to have a prominent place in the church because the church is there because of our Lord. It's a place of worship. Our Catholic churches are not multipurpose buildings. Nope. They are the house of God. This is none other than the house of God in the gate of heaven. We are there to join in the heavenly worship, the worship that goes on in heaven. We are there to partake of it because that's the part of the Paschal mystery. That is the Paschal mystery. The Paschal mystery is the entire passion of our Lord, beginning with his last supper, all of his suffering, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, His, his ascension his glorification at his father's right hand. And we participate in that when we go to mass, read the scriptures, have them there in your head. Don't daydream. Don't let your minds wander. Bring your heart and your mind back to what's going on at the altar. The words of scripture are there to instruct us. Open your ears, but we have to empty our hearts of the things of this world, not just for the sake of emptying them. Don't just empty your heart just to be empty. When you go to empty your heart, ask the Holy Spirit first to come in and fill you and inspire you so that you can hear. The word of God is living and effective. We come to the church to hear the word of God so that the word of God can prepare us to receive the Lord in the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. in the blessed sacrament. So Mary's standing there weeping. She can't find our Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we weep and can't find our Lord, he's there somewhere, by the way. And when you walk into any Catholic church, you can genuflect and you say in your heart, Lord, I don't know where they've put the blessed sacrament, but I know you're here present in the blessed sacrament. So I genuflect to your sacramental presence. I don't know why I see now more and more, a lot of people come into church and they don't even genuflect. This is God. If it's God, let's act like it's God. We need to bend our knee (laughs) before God. We're creatures. We're not God. We need to worship God. And in our right, our Latin rite of the Roman Catholic Church, it has been the tradition for over a thousand years to bend our knee in adoration of God and the Blessed Sacrament. So all of those of you who want to go back to the early church when they never bent their knee, well, do you want to go back to public confessions, people? <laughs> do you want to com- you want to confess your adultery and your getting drunk and your abuse of substance in front of everybody that you beat up your kids and you screamed and yelled at your wife? Do you want to confess that in front of everybody? Well, maybe better. Maybe we all better get down on our knees and humble ourselves and thank God we have private confessions and that we can kneel in the presence of the Lord of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament.
2: The Bible says every knee shall bend. Amen. And that's at His name. Yes.
1: So at His presence, if every knee shall bend, yeah. maybe every knee better bend and the angel put his head to the ground.
2: Yeah, the angels don't have a body. You know, we just celebrated the thirteenth of May, nineteen seventeen. I told our our listeners that we were at that site. Yes. Where the tree is. Yeah. And just to make a note about that, Mary Danielle, regarding about the Blessed Sacrament, can you describe how the kids adored Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? Yes. Well, the angel appeared to them, and he's
1: holding a chalice and a host. And he leaves the chalice and the host suspended in the air. Now, angels don't have bodies, but the angels appear in the form of a young man. Mm -hmm. They appear with a body so that we can see them. We can't see spirits. And the angel knelt on the ground, and then he put his head on the ground. And so the children did the same. They knelt on the ground and then bent forward until their heads touched the ground, and then they prayed. What
2: is that prayer? Most
1: Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. I offer you the precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ really present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences by which he himself is offended and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and through the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of you the conversion of poor sinners. So we pray. And wow. they, the angel repeated that prayer three times. Three times. And that's the prayer of adoration of the blessed sacrament. And he put his head to the ground. So there's no shame in kneeling down on you. But don't, I mean, we're not doing it to draw attention to ourselves. We're doing it to acknowledge the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Our God is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. Really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread and wine. Only God can do this. And he chooses to do this through his priests. Okay, The priests act in the person of Christ. When they say the Eucharistic prayer, they don't say this is Christ's body. They say this is my body. And by the way, the words Mysterium Fide do not refer to the acclamation. The acclamation is our response to the mystery of faith, which has just taken place. Read The Spirit and Forms of the Liturgy by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger.
2: Ignatius Press is the publisher. Go it,
1: there you go. and yeah, and yeah. But it, it, it gives us a beautiful insight into the Eucharist and what it means and mm-hmm. how the liturgy should be celebrated. And the reality that, that that mysterium fide is referring back to the mystery that has just taken place, which is what? That Jesus Christ, through the actions of the priest, has acted in and through the priest by his Holy Spirit to take bread and wine and change them into his own body and blood. We do not believe that we are crucifying Christ again. We believe that we are present, that time and space are suspended, and that we are really present at the one eternal sacrifice of Christ on the cross, that we are true witnesses of his death, but that we're also true witnesses of the Last Supper, of his burial, of his resurrection, his ascension, and Christ offers himself in an unbloody manner, sacramentally, that is, in his risen, ascended, glorified state, as he is present in heaven, so is he present at mass
2: acting in and through the priest to confect the Holy Eucharist. And here we are coming up against a break. Wow. Hey, I want to remind you, if you'd like to come to a women's conference, it's September 7th, go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Mary Danielle will be there. Barbara Nicolosi will be there. I'm going to be there. So we'd love to have you. Men, get your wife to go to this conference. We'll be right back. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877 526 2151 that's june 15th when your husband comes back from this conference or your son they're going to have a different view about their catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love jesus and his bride the church and are going to instill in them a love for christ and his church the eucharist our lady bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org sign up there or call 877-526-2151 full sheen ahead
0: It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the Gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please, prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
1: Well, thank you, Jesse, for bringing us back. And welcome all you who are listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful. Virgin Most Powerful, please pray for us. So Mary stood by the tomb weeping, and Jesus tells Jesus is there. He's She turns and sees a man there, and she thinks it's the gardener. And so she says... Um, He says to her, why are you weeping? And she says, sir, if you're the one who has taken him, tell me, and I'll come and take him away. And then he calls her by name, Mary. It's interesting. She supposed he was the gardener. Well, what's interesting about that is he is the gardener, isn't he? Because in the beginning, in Genesis, we are told that God created everything, right? Well, it's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're told that in the beginning, in the beginning of John's gospel, we're told in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things were created through him and for him. So in a sense, yes, he is the gardener. He's the one who planted the first garden. And and so she recognizes him. And then he says, don't cling to me because I've not yet ascended to my father. But then go and tell the disciples and Tell them that I must ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And he makes this distinction, and we need to always remember this. Jesus is the son of God by nature. He, belo- he is God, equal to the father, by nature. Okay? But we are sons by adoption. All right? So it's not that there's a separate father for him and us. It's that he is son by nature because he is God equal to the father. And then because he took to himself a human nature, he adopts all of mankind, every human person, as his brother and sister, and therefore also as children of the Father in heaven. So we are gods by adoption because his own son became man. That's the Christian religion, and that's what sets us apart from all the religions of the world. So on that first day of the week, so Mary runs off and tells the apostles, and then in the evening on that first day of the week, Jesus comes and stands among them. Whenever Jesus comes, he tells them what? Peace be with you, which was the typical Jewish greeting. But coming from our Lord, think about that. After all that they had been through, after all, they thought everything was gone. Every, their, their hopes were dashed. They thought he was the Messiah. He's done. It's gone. It's everything we hoped for, never going to be. And he comes and says, peace. He gives us his peace. And they're, they're wow. And so he says it to them twice. And then what does he do? He does something. He breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins, they are retained. He gives to his apostles, his first priests, who are also bishops, the power to forgive sins in his name. Yes, only God can forgive sins. But sin is a real offense against God who is real. Yes, that's true. But it's also a real offense against our neighbor. Because God made us all in his image, and he wants us to treat each other the way he treats us with love and respect. And when we don't, we sin against God. What did Jesus say about the last judgment? Whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did to me. So when we offend our brother, we need to make amends for that. And when we sin, there's no such thing as a private sin. No one might know about our sin, but you know what? Every sin that's committed hurts the body of Christ, because it takes away grace and it injures one of the members and we're all one body. You know, if you stub your toe or hurt your little finger or get a splinter in your hand, your whole body hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, doesn't matter how small it is. So remember that Christ himself established the sacrament of confession. He gave to his apostles the power to forgive sins. Not that man has that power in himself, But that Jesus Christ, again, just like at the Eucharist, it is Christ acting to change bread and wine into his own body and blood. So, too, in the sacrament of confession, it is Jesus Christ who absolves us from our sins. Our Blessed Mother once told a man, when you go to confession, you go to the foot of the cross of my son. And if you are sorry for your sins, the blood of my son washes down upon you to make you clean. And she also said, I'm there to help you. I'm there to pray for you like a mother. She's a mother. You know, God gave us his mother to be our mother also. Yeah, Jesus at the, at the, on the cross said to John, he didn't say John. He said, behold your mother. And he said to Mary, behold your son. And he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the apostles. So he gave all mankind. John represented all mankind. And, and Jesus made her the mother of all mankind because she is his mother. And he's the brother to all of us. So, you know, if he's our brother, then his mother's our mother also. And so we go to confession because we understand that sin is offense against God who is real. If any of you have never read it, you might want to get Carl Menninger's book, Whatever Became of Sin. It's his memoirs. Carl Menninger, not a Catholic, a Jewish psychiatrist, um, had many members of his family in the psychiatric field, And he said that all, most, not all, excuse me, most of the mental illness that he had dealt with in his lifetime was traceable to the loss of sense of sin. When we lose a sense of sin, it begins to destroy us as human persons. We were made by God for God. We were made for greatness. We were made for union with God. But to live that union with God, we need to remain in his grace. Just like Jesus said, keep my commandments and you will remain in my love. When we sin, Carl Manager writes, and this is not a direct quote, it's a paraphrase. Sin is a real offense against God who is real. God is God and everything that is evil is offensive to him. God did not make sin. He did not make death. He did not make suffering. He is good and everything that he made is good. But man let his trust in his heart die distrust in God, die in his heart, and he sinned. He turned away from God. And when he did that, he brought disorder, disintegration into the world that God had made, into the perfect harmony that God had made. And so that needs to be restored. And Christ restores that by forgiving us our sins. What was the gospel? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So... Jesus set up a sacrament in the church, confession, for people to go and tell our Lord, I am sorry that I have done these things that offend you, Lord, and I know it offends you, and I am sorry, and I'm firmly resolved not to do it again, so I ask for your grace. And so Jesus established this sacrament. Now, moving on, Thomas wasn't there that evening, and so the others tell him they've seen the Lord, and Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it unless I can place my hands in the you know in his in his nail prints and my put my hand in his side. So a week later, they're there again and Jesus comes again and again he says peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and he says, "Thomas, come here and put your fingers into my hand, the nail prints, and put your hand into my side and do not be unbelieving but believe." And it's beautiful. God allowed for Thomas not to be there the first week. So that when the second week came and he sees Jesus, he gives an incredible profession of faith. He says, my Lord and my God. Now, Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 don't say that. I'm just a creature. No. Thomas worships him and Jesus allows it. Jesus is truly God. And Thomas gives us this profession of faith. And then Jesus says, well, happy are those who have not seen and yet believed. You saw, and Thomas, and you come to faith because you saw. And again, he needed to witness the risen Lord because he's an apostle. So it was all in God's providence. He wasn't there the first week, but he's there when Jesus comes eight days later. And so he, too, witnesses the risen Lord, not just on the word of others. He actually saw the risen Lord. And so, too, all 12 of the apostles Saw the risen Lord. Now, John's account here goes on because, you know, when you read the Synoptic Gospels, it looks like the ascension took place on the day of resurrection. But we know from the Acts of the Apostles that there was actually a space of 40 days between the day of resurrection and the day of ascension. In the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke tells us this. So, You know, remember, the apostles didn't write down everything and they didn't write down every word. And they, you know, they wrote down the things that the Holy Spirit inspired them to pass on to us in writing. And then we have the living tradition of the church, her liturgy and her constant teachings. And so Jesus, John, in chapter 21, gives us one of these appearances, one of these post resurrection appearances of Jesus. You know, we have the one in the upper room, the first day of resurrection, and then a week later when Thomas gives his profession of faith. And now we have, again, there's this this 40-day interim period where apparently during that period, the apostles, they're staying in Jerusalem part of the time, but apparently they go back up fishing. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, what do we do? How are we supposed to spread the gospel? They don't quite know the fullness of what their mission is yet. And so they're up there the Lake of Tiberias, which is the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and Simon is there with Thomas and Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. John's pretty detailed sometimes in what he reports. And Simon says to them, I'm going fishing. And they all said, we're going with you. So they go out and they all night they fish and they catch nothing. Nothing at all. So just as day is breaking, Jesus is standing there on the shore. But they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he says to them, children, did you catch anything? No. And, and, you know, you know how we would be. Are, Are you serious? You know, we worked all night. You know, come on, don't, don't tease us. Don't, you know, not knowing who the person is on shore. You know, it's like, oh, maybe he's making fun of us. And so he tells them to cast the nets off the right side of the boat and they will find something. And so they do. And they catch such a large quantity of fish. They're not able to haul it in. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved that's John, that's the evangelist who's writing this gospel, says to Peter, it is the Lord. Again, love recognizes first. Love recognizes first, but love waits for authority to speak. So it's not John who jumps into the water to go up on shore to greet the Lord. It's Peter. So it is the Lord, and Peter heard this, and he tucks in his clothes and goes into the sea, and he goes to shore and the other disciples come in the boat dragging the net and we'll finish up this chapter after the break thank you for listening i do a bible study um, at the chapel here in covina on tuesday evenings at seven and thursday afternoon at two this weekend i'm speaking at our lady perpetual help church in saugus new hall at 10 a.m in the morning there's a day there in honor of our lady so i'll be speaking on our lady you're welcome to come. Thank you for listening. and We'll be right back.
2: This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel, this is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877 526 2151 that's june 15th when your husband comes back from this conference or your son they're going to have a different view about their catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love jesus and his bride the church and are going to instill in them a love for christ and his church the eucharist our lady bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org sign up there or call 877-526-2151 full sheen ahead
0: It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: Welcome back to the Barber with the Bibles. I don't say a whole lot, but you know what I just wanted to recommend? Mary Danielle, you're going to be where on Saturday? Because we have two places to go to. Where are you going first? Saturday morning at our Lady of Perpetual
1: Help... In Newhall, Newhall. California, okay. our Lady Perpetual Hall, is Newhall. is it? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. is that what I'm scheduled to speak?
2: And then we're going to go up to not a Tuscadero. We're going up to Visalia, Visalia to do a pro life talk at the eighth annual pro life conference. So if anybody wants to come up, just go and Google those issues and you know those parishes and that pro life eighth annual pro life conference from six in the evening to nine o'clock. Okay. So now I wanted to get that straight. Now let's get back to the Gospel of Love, John.
1: There you go. And so um, they they bring the and when, they bring the the, the the other apostles come with the boat, and there's a charcoal fire. Ooh. It's interesting because there's only one other place in the Gospels where a charcoal oh, yeah. fire is mentioned, the charcoal fire on the evening of the Last Supper when Jesus was betrayed, and Simon Peter is warming himself at a charcoal fire in the courtyard. Of the high priest. interesting. And so now there's a charcoal fire here. <clears throat> and so what is, what's what's going to happen here? So Jesus has fixed a meal for them. He says, come and have breakfast. And then after breakfast, um, and it, it says here, this is the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. But after the breakfast here, um, Jesus ask Peter a question. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now in the English, we just use the word love over and over again. Do you love me? And we know that he asked the question three times. But if you go to the Greek, Jesus isn't saying, do you love me with a friend love? He's saying, do you love me agape? With a full love, with a with a self-sacrificing love. And and in the, Simon's reply, Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he doesn't reply agape. He, re, he replies, philio, I love you with the love of friendship. And so then Jesus tells him, feed my lambs. And then a second time he says, Simon, do you love me? And again, he says, Jesus says agape. He uses the word agape, the highest form of love, that self-sacrificing love that wants only the good of the beloved and is willing to sacrifice itself for the sake of the good of the beloved. And again, Peter responds, I love you like a friend. And then finally, and so then Jesus tells him, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Only this time, Jesus doesn't say agape. He says filio. He uses that Greek root of filio. Do you love me with a friendship love? And so um, Peter responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So now finally, Peter, Peter's word is the same as Jesus's, only because Jesus has accommodated himself to Peter. Peter had been the one who said, I love you more than anybody. I will sacrifice my life for you. And then he had failed. So now he's a little more cautious. Jesus is asking for the highest form of love. And Peter realizes, yeah, I like you, Lord. And, 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 and he's a little more cautious. He's, he's lost some of his pride and his reliance on himself. And so the Lord meets Peter where he is. But nonetheless, the Lord gives him the command to feed his lambs and tend his sheep and feed, and feed his sheep. And then he tells him that, you know, when he was young, he goes wherever he wants and nobody tells him. But when he gets older, someone is he's going to stretch out his arms, and they're going to lead him where he doesn't want to go. And John tells us this was to show the kind of death he, which he would glorify God. What Jesus was doing there is so beautiful because he was giving Simon at this charcoal fire. This is another charcoal fire. And Peter had denied that he knew Jesus three times at a charcoal fire out of fear. And now Jesus is giving him a chance to repent of those three denials by professing his love for our Lord And our Lord is asking for the highest form of love, but Peter's not yet ready to go there. And so our Lord accommodates him to Peter and says, well, will you love me with a friendship love? And Peter says, yes, you know that, Lord. You already know that I love you with that. And he does, and he does. And he will love him eventually with agape. He will give his life for the Lord. He will die the way his Lord died on a crucifix, but upside down. And so... Jesus loves us and he gives us an opportunity to make amends for our sins. God doesn't God never wishes the sinner to die in his sin. God didn't come to earth, become man, suffer and die so that all all people could suffer and go to hell. But we also can't say that we can hope that there's no one in hell because John Paul II, as John Paul II said, is there a part of me that wishes that I could dare hope that there's no one in hell yeah there's a part of me that wishes that I could dare hope that there's no one in hell but to dare hope that there's no one in hell is to deny the scriptures so I cannot entertain that I cannot entertain that so that's what Saint John Paul II says we can't entertain that Judas went to his own place unfortunately and that's not a good place because the scripture said it would have been better if he had never been born but the Lord gives us the opportunity to repent. And he gave Judas the opportunity to repent too. When Judas comes into the, the garden, he says, Friend, why have you come? He doesn't condemn Jesus. Judas. Jesus doesn't tell him, You're such a jerk. Why did you do this? Jesus is so stupid. You're such an imbecile. Don't you know anything? No, he says, Friend, why have you come? And so the Lord gave Peter the opportunity to repent. And Peter does. And he does feed the Lord's Lamb. He takes care of the, the the church. He leads the church. That was his role. And then he will eventually die. He will be crucified for our Lord. So as Jesus and Peter have carried on this conversation, then then, and maybe Peter felt a little uncomfortable because he turns around, and he sees John there, and he says, "Well, what about him, Lord? You know." And, and Jesus, you know, what about him, Peter? Don't worry about him. What if I mean for him to, to, to stay until I come? It, it is for you to follow me. So the, 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 the witness there for us, that's a witness for us. You know, we tend to want to look at other people's lives and get involved in their lives and say, well, you have to do it the way I think you ought to do it. And you better do it my way. And we get all mixed up in other people's lives, telling other people how to run their lives and what they should do. In the meantime, what was it Jesus said? Before you try and take the splinter out of your brother's eye, take that plank out of your own so you can see clearly. Yes, we're supposed to give fraternal correction, but are we going to confession at least every month, if not twice a month or every week? Have we given up um, our tendency to drink so much that we get intoxicated? Are we given up our tendency to gossip and talk about other people behind their back? Have we given up our tendency to laziness? Are we being perfectly diligent? Are we... Praying as much as we possibly can pray. Are we giving God as much time as we should give Him? By the way, that's one tenth of every single day we should be giving God. I remember Father Mitchell Packwood told us this in a sermon one time. One tenth of twenty-four hours. You know, I I like to play with numbers. You know, that's you move the decimal place over one. That's two point four hours a day. Okay, and one tenth of an hour is six minutes. So it's two hours and twenty-four minutes a day. Are you giving two hours and 24 minutes a day? Set aside just for prayer. Okay, then don't be trying to give fraternal correction because we need to be in union with God in order to give fraternal correction and, and never give fraternal correction if you're angry with somebody because that's not going to work. It's like discipline. Discipline has to be administered out of love and without anger. So we're not supposed to be looking around and say, what about that one, Lord? Or what about this one? It's like, no, Jesus wants us to keep our eyes on him. Just like as if we were Peter getting out of the boat in the storm to walk on the water, we have to keep our full attention fixed on Jesus. And if we have any distraction, (laughs) we're going to start sinking. (laughs) So we want to keep our full attention fixed on our Lord. And we want to follow him, follow him faithfully and firmly. And as we read in the gospel today, you know, to live in his love means to keep his commandments. So we want to keep all his commandments. We don't have a right to go around calling people names or putting people down. Or you know, Everybody has a gift and a talent that God has given them. And we don't all have the same gifts and talents and we can't all do the same thing. But we can all love. And that's what it's about, isn't it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love one another as I have loved you. I will love you enough so that I will sacrifice my own desires and feelings and preconceived notions in order to sacrifice for your good that i will pray for your salvation and i will do whatever is necessary to gain salvation for you and yes our prayers do affect others and they can affect that doesn't mean the person doesn't have free will we need god's grace to do good we cannot do any good without god's grace And so we need to pray for one another that all of us will have the grace to do the good that God puts before us to do. And God has called each one of us. He's given each one of us a task that he hasn't given to anyone else, as St. John Henry Newman says. And so we need to ask the Lord, what is it you want me to do with my life? And how do you want me to serve you in my life today? And help me to be faithful to that and serve you. And now pray for other people. But I'm not going to get caught up in, oh, Lord, well, what's their vocation? So I can tell them, you know, what they're supposed to do. No, let the Lord tell them. Sometimes we need to get out of the way because we are standing in the Lord's way and we're actually making it impossible for him to work in another person's life. We need to ask the Lord to help us get out of the way of his work so that he can work in and through us to accomplish his own work. And you know, some people thought that Jesus was saying that John wouldn't die. Well, that's not what Jesus said. And John lived to be very old, but he did die and he didn't die a martyr's death. Not that they didn't try and martyr him. Remember they boiled him in oil. He just didn't die that way. (laughs) Our Lord didn't let him die from being boiled in oil. So he didn't suffer the effects of it, but he died of old age. (laughs) And it's interesting because at the conclusion of his gospel, John says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness to these things and who has written these things down. And we know that his testimony is true. So we know that the gospel, who wrote, the gospel was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that name is given to John only in the gospel of John. And the tradition has told us this is John the apostle. And, you know, if everything had been written that Jesus had said and done, well, John said he was sure that the world could not contain the books that it would have taken. And, and some people say, oh, that's just hyperbole. Well, yeah, maybe it's hyperbole, but isn't it the 20th century and 20 centuries after Jesus, and we're still writing books about what he did and said and what it meant? You see, it takes that. It takes time for us to understand and for it to sink in. So that's what we want. We want the book to get to us. We want the word of God to sink into us and change our lives. And God can change our lives. Men change every single day. You know, as uh, Warden Clinton Duffy, who reformed San Quentin and reformed many men at San Quentin, once said, when somebody said to him, you should know a leopard doesn't change his spots. And he said, and you should know that I do not work with leopards. I work with men and men change every day. And by the grace of God, we can change and we can become the saints that God has called us to be. There's no saint who doesn't have a past and there's no sinner who doesn't have a future. We all have a future in Jesus Christ, a future in heaven and a future here on this earth of freedom from sin and freedom of the children of God. So let's live in God's grace, be his children, and we'll see you next week on Bible with the Barbers.
3: St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests Oh my Jesus, I beg Thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of Thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere, and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us.
0: Virgin Most Powerful Radio Sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.